0: When my wife was first pregnant with our son, we were desperate to try to figure out the sex. We discovered that people had some of the most interesting theories about what factors would influence the result in the end, right down to how the deed was done. The reality is, in the simplest form, that the male sperm decides the gender, and that's produced at a one to one ratio. But if that's where the story ends, shouldn't birth rates be 50 50 as well? What if they're not? Is there something else going on? What are the actual rates, and why might this actually make sense? Shanti's here as a representative of those of you with a naturally curious mind, and I am D.R. Cox, a scientist and researcher for the last decade in regenerative medicine, vaccines, and nanoparticles. And this is Breaking Bad Science. Break, 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 breaking
1: bad. <laughs> when you, in your intro, said me and my wife were trying to figure out the sex. I just picture like a like super like Christian couple from the nineteen forties or something who like <laughs> you know stayed celibate until they got yeah. married and then you had to figure out how everything worked, yeah, not not my the wife same and thing I were for we were trying to figure out the sex <laughs> <laughs> was it not as easy as one would think
0: <laughs> yeah, not not the same thing no, okay, um, cool. yeah, so um this was just a weird rabbit hole of strange information i wasn't expecting so um, you this was another episode that you were like you've been saying for a while we should do this might be really interesting so (laughs) why don't why don't you start by telling me why it is that you know you you felt it it would be interesting
1: Okay. Well, I also love how anytime I come up with an episode, it always does end up being kind of interesting. I'm just going to put that out there. So, uh, I use an app, uh, that I'll shout out called fluent New. It's kind of cool. It's like, it's another Spanish learning app that I really enjoy. I I'm uh, sidetracked. I'm a big fan of these language learning apps where they use like short video clips or stories and have uh, a dual reader in English and span and whatever the language is. And so I had one of these apps and, um, they, they did that for, for Spanish. And so one of the short three minute clips I watched was an excerpt from a YouTube video from like an educational, uh, channel that probably is out of maybe Colombia. Um, but it's super cool. So they, it, it was like a quick short cartoon and they talked about why birth rates are so different. Um, and so it, it kind of walked through. Some of the factors that cause there not to be a one-to-one birth rate in boys and girls, and I thought it was fascinating because kind of like, oh, that's really cool. That is not. I it makes sense, sort of the concept now that I think about how it works and how they explain the video. But at first, I was like, why would that be the case?
0: So worldwide, do you know what the ratio is? Right. I want so are we talking
1: about the ratio at which point at conception or the ratio
0: the birth um, the ratio at birth
1: I want to say it's 1.5 to 1 boys to girls 1.05
0: 05 to
1: 1
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and, and by, actually
1: but, um, but, the, but I think that there's some more numbers behind that so that's the rate at birth but if we're not counting um miscarriages I think it's higher
0: Right, right. so mis or so um uh, miscarriages and things like that are uh, are a different value and and there's a lot of sort of weird tie-ins to this right? So I mean obviously the human body is incredibly complex uh, birth is more so you know if not one of <laughs> the <and> most <laughs> complex things um, the,
1: the, the human body is incredibly complex while well, me and my wife are trying to figure out the sex <laughs> <laughs> We learned that the human body is incredibly complex. No, alright go ahead. But start. what
0: we <laughs> do know is that at birth There are about 105, somewhere around 105 to 107 boys born for every girl, right? Mm -hmm. Or sorry, 100 for every 100 girls. So it's 1.05 to 1, right? Yep. Now, do you know what the evolutionary reason for that theoretical reasoning for that is?
1: Because guys are idiots. (laughs) That is the
0: simplest way to put it. But yeah, accurate. And so to explain that, I pulled up a chart of how um, the uh, average or how the number of humans in millions um, is broken down from age five to over 85, right? So there's about 9.86 million boys to 9.4 million girls. At at under age five. Right. And then. That value begins to balance out. Until at right about. 35 to 39. The. um, Difference is very minimal. About 10.9 million boys. To about 10.89 million girls. So. Very very close. And then. At age 40 to 44. There's suddenly more girls than there are boys. And there's really only one explanation for this.
1: Hold my beer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Hold my beer and watch this.
1: Yeah. I mean, simply put,
0: um, you know, uh, evolutionarily, the, you know, the answer would have been, um, there was a lot of male hunter and gatherers. You know, there was a lot of um, men who did a lot more dangerous activities, you know, um, things like that in the past. But, I mean, the reality is we're still seeing this. And that's not the case anymore. So realistically, hold my beer and watch this really is the only explanation left at this point, you know? And I mean, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and and that difference only expands. You know, you would think that that the big difference jump would happen in the sort of 20 to to 45 ratio. But it gets – it just keeps getting worse instead. You know, we go from – By 40 to 44, there's about 0.1 more girls than boys. By 45 to 49, it's now up to almost 0.3. By 65 to 69, it's over an entire point value. It is uh, over a million more girls than boys. (laughs) And so...
1: All starts at the sandlot. Hold my juice box and watch this.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, just go, and it drink, ends. The drink changes. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't end till hold my walker and watch this. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So evolutionarily, it makes sense for humans to have a higher ratio of boys than it does girls, right? Yep. Um, in order to compensate for that. Uh, Interestingly enough, there are significant external factors, actually, that also have an impact on this, which is why um, the value in the past has been as high as 107 boys to 100 females, and um, in some countries, 118 males to 100 females.
1: Holy moly, man.
0: Why would you guess
1: that is? Well, I mean, so I know that you, you have like things like the one child policy in Chinese communist China. Um, and that didn't really work well with the cultural traditional values where people want their name to be carried on. So oftentimes they would be more likely to abort a female fetus. They would be more likely to, um, commit infant, infanticide, which is pretty awful, but it is a thing that it was, has been reported or put their children up for adoption.
0: Like, so, so that there's,
1: there's a couple of things that that
0: I, I just want to clarify just so we don't gloss over before, um, on those statements. Right. So, so the first is that, um, you, you're absolutely right about the, um, the boys carrying on the name. Right. And, and in some of those countries, it's so traditionalist that the family name will die if there isn't a male child so if you're only allowed or if you're going to get punished harshly for having more than one child and your wife gets pregnant with a girl it was you know it became very common to you know ab- abort um that child and wait for a male um mm-hmm. and uh on top of that um if you or the the other thing you said was um you you mentioned
1: side or an yeah, adoption
0: yeah, in, infanticide, and then the adoption. So the adoption one, I, I wanted to make sure I pointed out that um, that adoption isn't just they would have the child. If it's a girl, they would give it up for adoption. They would give it up for adoption without registering that was ever born, essentially. Because if they did, then they would be um,
1: in the yeah. Then then they're they're problematic for they, the one child
0: policy. Exactly. Yeah. So so these. Children would basically be born and then just left somewhere for somebody else to adopt, essentially without anyone ever claiming that they had been born. Essentially, um, which is insane. But, which I is mean, another it, way that throws off the numbers as well.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's it's tough, and it's no no judgment to those families. Right, none of us understand what it was like to be alive uh, in communist China during a one child policy era, and so yep. like we can't under we can't even begin to understand the factors of how much societal pressure got put on you to keep your family name alive. And, you know, the truth is, it just sucked for an entire couple of generations of people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's uh, um, it is it was it is a hard time to understand. It's a hard concept to understand, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and and interestingly enough, some of the um, best data that we have for some of these types of things we're talking about just comes out of China in general. Um, and, and I, you know, I mean, I, not surprisingly, I guess, just due to how high the population is there, how many people there are, it, it does, um, you know, um, have that effect of, of being able to get additional information just, just from sheer numbers, essentially. Um, so, but the other thing that you mentioned is that there may be biases in, um, the actual biologics, right? As far as like whether uh, a male is born versus a female, right? And is that um, not just uh, external factors, but actual biological factors as well, right?
1: So, yeah, I think one of the things that this video t- talk touched on is that, so we, we talk about the one to 1.07 ratio at birth, but um, as far as con- conceiving, um, like embryos, it's the numbers are actually a lot higher. I want to say in terms of how many male embryos are conceived during, like, basically making a child versus versus female, and and the and the rate of uh, abortion through natural, like, uh, sorry, what's what's the rate of miscarriage? I want to say, and and please stake me if this is minute misinformation, but it's the information I have is higher for male fetuses. So there's and, – and especially during times of famine, uh, it's more likely that miscarriages with male fetuses would happen versus with female
0: fetuses. So um, there's so much more to that. Um, but you're kind of on the right track-ish. Um, yep. But it's actually the other way around. And that's oh. why the, the 105 to 100 number, because that's sort of a natural number without external factors. Um, okay. And so, what I found this was sort of the best, um, uh, just sort of summary statement that I found. Um, okay. So the actual, uh, I'm just going to read this whole thing. So, our estimate of the sex ratio at conception is 0.5 proportion male, which mm-hmm. contradicts the common claim that the sex ratio at conception is male bias. Apparently, it is actually female bias, but that ratio among abnormal embryos is also male bias, and the sex ratio among normal embryos is female bias. So most embryos are female, and huh. a higher percentage of males are, a- are the abnormal. Huh. However, these biases are associated with the abnormal normal state of the sex chromosome and chromosomes 15 and 17. The sex ratio may decrease in the first week or so after conception due to excess male mortality. It then increases for at least 10 to 15 weeks due to excess female mortality. So between 10 and 15 weeks, it's more likely for a miscarriage in a female fetus. Huh. It then levels off after week 20 and declines slowly from week 28 to 35 due to excess male mortality. However, overall, total female mortality during pregnancy exceeds total male mortality. So despite the fact that the proportion starts out less male, because the female um, uh, in, uh, embryo mortality is higher, we actually end up with more males being born in the end.
1: Interesting. Now, question for you. Mm-hmm. Did you did you look at the study? I think there was like a recorded study where during famine times of famine, there is higher female birth ratios than males. Did I, I
0: did I find what you were talking about when you brought this up to me? N- yes of course i did yeah i, hey, I
1: did find <laughs> good, good. so so let's explain that mechanism maybe you know i i'm curious to understand how that works
0: so i'll tell you we don't have a mechanism because it's hard to study that concept right because the only thing you can look at is um sort of historical facts we don't we didn't have the tools then to look into those
1: so you, you can't start a big uh, case study with a bunch of, people. hey guys, we're gonna like put you through famine, but it's totally cool. <laughs> we're you just... know, we're we're just gonna figure out like with your kids if more of them, if more of your male children die. No, we're it's gonna... totally cool. It's for
0: science. <laughs> we're you know? gonna starve you guys for just a few years and just kind of see how you know the ratios to to male to female births works out. Are you you know that's fine, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> no. What they did was they went back and looked at does famine influence sex ratio at birth evidence from the 1959 1961 great leap forward famine in china now i'm going to back up just slightly and ask what you know about the great leap forward famine do you know what that is
1: um so i know that when china went through its big restructuring um uh, kind of politically and as a country um they may they, they Put in place policies to catch up ec- with e- economically um, and and uh, just urbanizing rapidly, uh, and that was around the 1950s and 60s. Because pre- prior to that, it was it was very much a large farming country, right? Yep. And there was a it was very rural, not very developed. And then uh, Mao Zedong, I think I said his name right, yeah, uh, came in and said, all right, we gotta we gotta catch up." And so there were policies put in place to rapidly develop. Um, through a number of poor decision making, really, and and just malpractice, a lot of people ended up getting starved. There's debates as to why that was the case. Um, well, not, not so, a lot there's, actually. There's not a lot of debate. So one interesting thing that happened is that there there was a and you can look this up. There was a policy about like killing, I think, crows or something like See, that. They, yeah, they China so, did com- commit a war
0: on crows, I believe. I who it's not crows. I can shed a little more light on that for you. That is Go the important policy.
1: But this was something that, that really um, tumbleweeded into, or, or, or what's the word? It spiraled into giant famine.
0: Yeah. So um, what it was was um, Mao Zedong uh, identified three pests that were a huge problem for urbanizing the country and um, being able to take this great leap forward. Those pests were rats, mosquitoes, and sparrows. Sparrows. He committed
1: war on sparrows and So
0: last. he actually, he, he inspired his people to go to war on all three of these pests. And they were successful on one of them. Sparrows. Sparrows, indeed. And what he didn't know was that the sparrows were eating the locusts, which eat crops. <laughs> and so what they did was explode the locust population and it ate all of the crops in China basically. And you know, while other policies had significant effects, you know, the there's really no doubt that this one policy had a huge impact on what would lead to the this giant famine in China.
1: Yeah, this was the first Actually, this was actually the second big fail we've taken when – committing war against animals the first being the great emu war great
0: wars on birds in general just it's not a good idea
1: just just don't do it if you're (laughs) you know if you guys want to listeners look up the emu war in australia following world war one yeah long story short is that a bunch of australian soldiers got their butts kicked by a bunch of giant birds yeah uh who basically came in and stormed and took over a farm town and (laughs) occupied it successfully um which I think we talked about this before. Ended up, we ended up winning, or Australia ended up winning against the emus by building fences.
0: <laughs> but but the military might of Australia was not successful in that war. No, uh, they
1: were they were not. They got their
0: butts kicked. Yeah,
1: they got they got it handed to them anyway. Yeah. So the the sparrows and the, the sparrows were killed. Locusts yeah. took over. So people started starving.
0: The moral of the story is is no. No war, no wars on birds. But um, yeah, yeah, so that that was a a big spark in the famine. And then from that, they were able to generate the the data for this study, um, which basically when they looked at sort of birth rates and and things like that, using retrospective birth histories of three hundred and ten thousand Chinese women collected in a large national representative sample survey uh, the study identified an abrupt decline in sex ratio at birth between 1960, um, which was over a year after the Great Leap Forward famine, and October 1963, approximately two years after the famine ended. Um, so what happened is that these these findings support what they call the adaptive sex ratio adjustment hypothesis, that mothers in good condition are more likely to give birth to sons Whereas mothers in poor condition are more likely to give birth to daughters. Yep. In addition, these findings help explain the lack of consistent evidence reported by earlier studies based on the 1944-1945 Dutch Hunger Winter, and or, or the 1942 Leningrad Siege. So, um, the main sort of takeaway there is that, yeah, the uh, the actual um, there is some um, legitimate <clears throat> evidence that a you know if in famine. Um, you know, uh, humans will give birth more to daughters, which in a way makes sense because daughters are more capable of, um, procreating the species. Like you can, you know, one male, um, can obviously impregnate several females, whereas one female can only have, um, one gestational period at a time. And so, um, to, to vastly in- re increase the population in times of trouble, more females would be required to do so. So there is an evolutionary reason for that. Um, And additionally, and this is another thing I found just in the research, which I was not aware of. um, It takes more energy, approximately 10% more calories to rear a male child than it does a female.
1: Ladies, you want to lose weight? (laughs) Breaking new weight loss tactic. (laughs) No, just hear me out. Just hear me. Just out. hear
0: me out. Yeah, no, I don't think that one's gonna work. Um, our our last ep- our previous episode, is probably a better plan in that case. Um, but yeah, so it was, you know, it was kind of interesting to see that there is some legitimate science behind some of these ideas of, you know, the um, the it's sort of, you know, you start with um, honestly less males at conception. And by the time they're born, you have more males, unless you're in times of famine, then you have more females. Uh, But then by the time, you know, they're uh, 35, it doesn't matter because now there's more females anyway.
1: Yep, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you live in a first world country, it's hold my beer. If you don't, it could be like... Yeah, there's still...
0: Yeah, there are definitely still countries in which you know the um, the reasons for these um,
1: these birth or these
0: uh, population um, demographic changes are more still related to that old world concept than they are to some of these newer versions, for sure.
1: Male competition, violence, and you know, yeah. I mean the other the other thing we didn't touch on is that as guys like I kind of briefed on in the last episode I haven't gone to the doctor in two years right. there's things like that it's not always a hold my beer it's yeah a, it can sometimes be hold my appointment until indefinitely <laughs> with the doctor
0: yeah you know? I mean like the sort of easiest um point there is that you know it's just bad decision making in general really um there just sure. seems to be a higher tendency um in the uh, male population to to make those super bad decisions and and obviously you know you can take any anecdotal evidence you want to try to um, disagree with that but when you look at overall large numbers the reality is that 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 is you know the case right. that, that you have um, you know just more of these just terrible bad decisions being made in in the male population.
1: Yeah. I mean, also, I do think for small infant children, there is the other factor that probably doesn't impact us as much today, but but disease like I want to say that there was maybe data supporting that young male children are more likely to die from disease when, you know, they're within the ages of like infant to five, six years old.
0: Um, I didn't find anything on that, but but it could be possible. But also you have, you know, a yeah. higher percentage of male children. So that's going to bias that concept. You'd have to look at, you know, what is the yeah, percentage? You, you can't compare directly how many males to how many females. You'd have to say how many per- percentage of each individual population and compare it that way. So depending on yeah. how they look at the data, you could spin that any way you want, right?
1: That's fair. It's interesting with this concept, and I'm really pontificating here because there's no way to refute or, or, or confirm this. But I do wonder in the modern-day world, in first-world countries, if people who are malnourished in some way, whether they are dieting or whether they just have very poor dietary habits, I am curious to see if that does impact the their chances of like – um conceiving a boy or a girl yeah uh even in first world countries impossible to know impossible to tell i'm really just lobbing an idea out for the yeah. sake of lobbing it but um that's that's a, a place where my mind did go in thinking about this
0: well so he, I'm, I'm gonna tell you the most interesting one i found i think and and i'm i'm also gonna tell you that i really don't know um how much i Buy into this and and in fact, I would say probably very little, but I will tell you that um one person out there, at least one doctor um named I believe it is Richard no Richard Knox is the reporter um Dr. James Suckerman of Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston um believes that there is a decent amount of evidence that if a woman Gives birth to a child when living with a male counterpart, they are more likely to give birth to a son versus if they are living not with a male counterpart, a male oh. partner at all, they're more likely to give birth to a daughter.
1: Is there, is there any at least preliminary study or evidence on this? Right.
0: So he has sort of his own study and his own evidence on that. And um, I didn't find his study. But it, yep. it looks like what um, – he basically has his own um, supporting evidence from uh, – what did he say? Um, there's – it was a pretty large um, uh, pool of people. Um, and he was saying that, yeah, that um, there's been a very dramatic rise in the number of women who are single at the time of child's birth um and not living with a male partner and you know he purports that this is part of the reason that that value of male um births to female births is actually decreasing um and he's saying that that, that value has gone up from 5% in the 1940s to more than 20% today um women not living with a male partner at the time Okay um but it, it it's I'm trying to yeah here you go so um uh Dr. Karen Norberg of Washington University came up with the single mother hypothesis it's based, based on 80,000 births over 40 years she found that boys were less likely to be born to mothers who were not living with a man at the time of conception so that's probably why I couldn't find the study the study was actually done by by somebody else and I I didn't uh I didn't find yep. that um when I was looking so yeah i, I mean realistically that's uh, there's a little bit of you know,
1: it feels it feels like there's some reaching going on there. yeah but it, it, he, he, it's kind of like a, he could be onto something.
0: Yeah, there may be a, yeah, there may be something that they're sort of onto that you know maybe there's a hormone that you know rejects Y chromosome sperm more likely in some scenarios versus others. you know maybe that same famine feast um, sort of concept applies here. Maybe you know there um, the whatever causes uh, more females to be born, During times of famine is much more common in the single mother hypothesis as well. I mean, is it possible that they're just activating that same pathway due to possible, you know, famine concepts being more common in the single mother hypothesis as well? So, Mm. hard to say.
1: Hard to say, but very cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm having... My own little I told you so moment only because <laughs> I now re- I see it in your face that you're realizing that there was more to unpack here than you thought there was.
0: Yeah, it was it was more. Inter- it was certainly more interesting than I thought. And and it's not the first time that I've ended up saying that. And but I this is the one I've probably avoided the longest as far as like you suggested it. And I, I avoided it for a much longer time than, than... <laughs> stop dabbing. When I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, it, it was kind of cool, um, to, to see how sort of strange, uh, the biology really is and how it's not just a, um, Putnam square, essentially, which, you, do you know what a Putnam square is? No. Okay, so, um, a Putnam square is basically you have, um, the, the two, or the possible genes, the two possible genes from the, from the mother, which would both be X chromosomes. And then you have the two possible genes from the father, which would be an X or a Y. And then uh-huh. you show the possibilities of how those match up. So you're yep. either going to get an X and an X or the other X and an X, or you're going to get a Y and an X or a Y and an X, which is how it ends up being 50-50 theoretically to say you basically are going to get male or female.
1: I mean, my life, I've had an X. I've had an X and I've asked Y about the last X. You know, <laughs>
0: it's just-
1: Putnam Square. Pretty much the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep, exactly yep. the same thing.
1: Perfect. Um, I have no further questions. I'm <laughs> fully satisfied with my moment here. I'm
0: I'm noticing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely not as satisfied, quite as satisfied as we've been with some other episodes, for sure. But, um, it's. Uh,
1: Golden ratio. Anyway, that was your idea. That idea just favored me a lot.
0: Yeah, that's true. I did bring that one up, and I I will always regret it. I think. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm just mathematically gorgeous, dude. I don't know what <laughs> to tell you. Never. This is going to be on every episode at this point. I'm never going to get rid of it.
1: Bro, I am mathematically absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, and I don't know. I I I'm not going to be ashamed of it. That is all Math the time we it. have. Um. that supports it. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with this? Other, other than me being right, no, and mathematically no. Other than that, yeah. Other than that, no, yeah. other other than
1: than that. That. no I'm, I'm all set.
0: All right. Um, well, if you like this, you know, uh, look us up on Facebook or Instagram, follow us, uh, subscribe, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Podcast Addict, whatever it is that you use. Um, rate, review, it helps other people find the podcast. Um, reach out to us at feedback at breakingbadscience.com if you have suggestions or, um, comments on Shanti's ego or anything like that. We would appreciate it. Uh, all right. Um, thanks for listening, guys. This has been Breaking Bad Science. Science.